Father God, we thank you that that is true, that right here in this moment, right now, you are with us, and you are for us, and you are about to speak to us. So Lord, we submit ourselves before you, thank you for your nearness, and ask for ears to hear your voice. In your good name we pray, amen. If you're at home, you can have a seat, or you can have a lay down on the couch, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, we would encourage you to follow the, the five guidelines that Todd laid out. Those would be helpful. Uh, and we're so thankful that you've joined us this morning on this live stream service. Hope you can get out in the snow and have some fun later. But for now, I am so thankful that we have this technology that we're able to do this. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 23. Today we'll wrap up a three-week series that we've been in called Reset. And our hope in this short series was to lay before you at the start of this new year some things we feel are most important for us as a church to be focused on. So Bruce kicked it off two weeks ago looking at the great commandment and the great commission. And this is what we're all about. Loving God, loving people, and making disciples who go and make disciples. May that mission drive us this year. And then last week, Jeff shared with us five of the lettuce passages from Hebrews, culminating with the call to fix our eyes on Jesus. May that focus fuel us this year. May we grow as a church to be more and more and more a people with eyes fixed on Jesus, engaged in the mission of Jesus. This morning, I'd like to wrap up our short series with a passage that's been brewing in my heart and my mind for, for quite some time now. This is a reality I would love to live in daily, but I'm not quite there yet. So my hope this morning is that God will speak to me as he speaks to you, and that together we'll not just learn more information, but by the Spirit's power we'll experience transformation. I know I just prayed a second ago, but if you would, just close your eyes, maybe even hold out your hands. Let's humble ourselves before him and ask him to speak. Lord, we are here. We are hopeful and expectant to hear your voice. Would you speak through your word clearly and directly into my heart today? You are a speaking God. Let us be a listening people. In your good name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we begin, like I said, Psalm 23, I'd like to start by reading anti-Psalm 23. I'd invite you to close your eyes again. We're closing our eyes already a lot this morning. Hope that's okay. And feel the weight of this anti-Psalm. Be thinking, which phrase stands out to you? Which concepts resonate most deeply with your soul? So here it is, anti-Psalm 23. It seems I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I'm continually restless, easily frustrated, often disappointed. I feel overwhelmed, exhausted, burnt out from trying to maintain an illusion of control. I'm not sure what it is, but, but I feel broken, twisted, stuck. And though I try, I guess I just can't fix myself. I stumble down dark paths. I fear the big hurt and final loss. I spend so much energy protecting myself. Will I ever find lasting comfort? 
My cup is never quite full enough. I feel empty, thirsty, drained and dry. Will disappointment follow me all the days of my life? Will I ever find the rest, peace, and contentment my heart so deeply longs for? Yet still I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. So if you felt the weight of any of the lines from that anti-psalm, I think the Lord has some words of hope and refreshment for you this morning. This kind of life described in the truth, Psalm 23, is the life that's available right now to every single one of us who are in Christ. So what we're going to do this morning is just walk through it line by line, phrase by phrase, and I hope the Lord speaks to us as we do this this morning. So verse 1. You may know this well. The Lord is my shepherd. And as a result, I shall not want. So up to this point in the Psalms, God has been described by impersonal metaphors like rock and shield. And even personal but more distant metaphors like king and deliverer. And these are no doubt all true of God, right? He's our king, our deliverer, our rock, and our shield. But when we come to Psalm 23, David, the writer, draws us into a much more intimate metaphor. The Lord, our rock, our shield, our king, our deliverer, that Lord is my shepherd. Now, a shepherd in that day uh, was one who lived with his flock, and he was literally everything to his flock. He was the sheep's guide, caretaker, protector. Without the shepherd, plain and simple, the sheep die. They wander into danger in which they can't get out. They lose sight of sources of food and water and they starve or they fall prey to predators' attacks. So for us, the fact that the Lord is my shepherd means that he's literally everything to me. I'm completely solely dependent upon him for guidance, protection, and care. Without the Lord, I die. You die. We wander into danger in which we can't get out. We neglect the nourishment we need and we spiritually starve. Or we fall prey to the attacks of our enemies. But that not need be the case. Because Psalm 23 is true. For every one of us who are in Christ right now, the Lord is my, your, our shepherd. That's a reality. And as a result, I shall not want. In my life recently over the past year, year and a half, these have been some of the most beautiful words. I shall not want. To say it another way, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack what I need. If Jesus is your shepherd, there is nothing you lack. There is no need to want. In him, you have everything needed for life and godliness. Everything. Complete provision, utter protection. As one writer put it, this is the life without lack. I love that phrase, a life without lack. 
what would that look like? The remainder of Psalm 23 helps us see what that looks like. Verse 2 and 3 flow out of the reality of verse 1 and gives us a glimpse into our shepherd's provision. So look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures or grassy meadows. So notice it doesn't say he makes me eat in green pastures. right? That in itself would be a beautiful thing for a hungry sheep. Here's a green pasture. Eat your fill. But that's not what verse 2 says. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. So let me ask you a question. I won't be able to hear your response, but you can respond if you want. What kind of sheep, upon entering a green, grassy, glorious pasture, lays down? Well, it's a sheep that has eaten his or her fill. It's a satisfied sheep. Upon entering a pasture, I have no other desire but to lay down and rest. Satisfied. And this is an absolute reality of the life without lack. That Jesus not only leads us into green pastures to eat and be filled, but he satisfies our hunger so completely that we can't help but lie down to rest in the lavished goodness of all he provides. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But verse 2 continues. He leads me beside still waters. And this is the same idea here, that a sheep that's being led beside still water is a sheep that's not thirsty, right? He's content. She's content being where they are. Walking by the still waters, I have all that I need. I'm not thirsty or longing for anything. So did you know that in Christ, every single one of your longings can be satisfied? That every one of our deepest desires can be fulfilled? That your life right here, right now, can be characterized by contentment and peace, regardless of what you're going through, because of the complete provision of your good shepherd. But there's more. Verse 3 continues. He restores my soul. Deep down to the core, the, the internal spiritual realities of who you are. If the Lord is your shepherd, He restores that part of you, your soul. Now, I picked this up from a teaching Todd gave at Regen one time, but he, he talked about restoring uh, an old piece of furniture or an old car. And the idea in restoration is that you not only return it to its original condition, but the restoration process actually enhances it. It improves it. A work of restoration is even more glorious than the original because of all that peace has been through in the past and the process, the work that it's taken to bring about the restoration. So the same is true when Jesus restores your soul. He not only returns us to our original condition, he makes us even better, improved, enhanced by the good shepherd. The restored soul is even more glorious than the original because of all it's been through in the past. And the process it took the pain it took 
the shepherd to enter in and restore our soul. So this in part, this soul restoration, it is what 46 people right now in our church are experiencing through regeneration, which if you're not aware, it's, a, it's a basically a 10-month discipleship program in community. Lives through this process are being restored through an encounter with Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And we're only four months into this 10-month process, and already we've seen the Lord do amazing things. The, the soul restorer is here, and he's doing a work in people's lives. And even though a restoration process takes work, blood, sweat, and tears, it takes time, it's so worth it in the end. So Jesus, the good shepherd, enters in and restores our soul. It's his work that he's doing, and we get to benefit from it. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Verse 3 continues. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the effect of the soul restoration that Jesus does, as a result of that, I can now walk in right path, paths of righteousness. But notice it's not for my sake, it's not for your sake, it's for his name's sake that we walk these right paths as his sheep. He, the shepherd, gets the glory. It's all about his leading, not our walking. Jesus, the shepherd, is the active agent. In this psalm, he is doing all of this to the sheep, for the sheep, for his glory. All you and I, as sheep, need to do is follow him. Trust him. Obey him. And this is something I've been learning and really want to experience more fully. I hear the Lord saying, you know, Brian, I make you lie down in green pastures, so just lie down and rest. Stop striving. Cease doing. Eat your fill and rest. He satisfies my soul. This is something that I'm learning. And he leads me beside still waters. And he leads me into right paths. So Brian, just follow him. Obey him. Go wherever he says to walk. Another thing I'm learning, he restores my soul. So Brian, live in all the realities daily of the life without lack. And as you're hearing this, this is the good life, right? This is the life that we all want deep down in our soul. And this is the life that's been given to you if you're in Christ. Why would we look for anything anywhere else? So church family, let's listen to his voice. Let's follow his lead. Let's look to him for complete provision and utter protection. When things are going well in our lives, let's look to him. And when things go really bad, because they will go bad, right? If they're not bad right now, it's only a matter of time. 
And our shepherd knows this, and he prepares us for this. So look at verse 4. Even though I walk, and I will, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And how is that possible? Well, the answer, for you, the good shepherd, are with me. So the valley of the shadow of death image here is one of a dark ravine, and you'll see it pop up on your screen momentarily. This is an example of a dark ravine, a valley of darkness. And it stands in sharp contrast to the green pastures that we were just laying down in five minutes ago. So let's see them side by side, and let me ask you, which of these pictures would you prefer? The dark ravine, walking through that, or the green pastures, eating and being filled. So keep that side by side up. This is one of the things that really struck me afresh in Psalm 23 this week. This truth, that the dark ravine is just as much one of the right paths that God leads us on for his namesake as are the green pastures. So let me say that again. The dark ravine is just as much a right path that Jesus, the shepherd, leads us in for his glory, as is the green pastures. If the Lord is your shepherd, sometimes he must take you into the valley. And as sheep, we probably won't understand why. But we can walk through it. We can persevere. We can suffer well, knowing full well that the darkness is a right path that our shepherd has us walking on. And not only that, but we can trust that he himself is walking with us. He is right alongside us. So I debated whether to say this next thing, because it's going to sound painfully cheesy, so forgive me. Um, But I need to say it this way so that it'll stick. There is no need to fear when your good shepherd is near. Painfully cheesy, right? But so true. There is no need to fear when your good shepherd is near. Believing that that's true can really take some of the sting out of any circumstance we face. Though in those moments of darkness, we may be asking why, and it's right and good to ask God why. He has no problem with us crying out, why are you doing this to me? even doubting him at times. Our God is good with that. He can handle that. And though we may want to know, we may be asking him, isn't isn't there another way out of this? We're in good company because Jesus asked that same question, right? On his way to the cross. For those being led by the good shepherd, even in the dark valley, in the face of any circumstance, we can trust with absolute certainty that our good shepherd is with us And he's for us. He himself, personally, actively, will walk us through any dark time we face. Because there's no valley of death that we will ever go through that Jesus himself has not already walked through. He knows the way through the valley. And to know that he himself is present with us in the darkness How comforting is that? We are not in this alone. Our good shepherd is with us. 
And as a result, we need not fear any evil. Now imagine what that would be like, right? A a life in which the only thing we lack is fear. No fear of any person, no fear of any creature, no fear of disease or pain, no fear of aging or death, no fear of losing your job, your home, your family, getting in a car wreck on your way home through snow. It almost seems impossible to live a life without fear, doesn't it? Especially in a world that's so dominated by fear and fear triggers. So how, as sheep, do we live a life free from fear? Well, this isn't a magic bullet, but a way we learn to walk through life without fear is to live daily in the shepherd's presence under the shepherd's care. In his presence, daily live. I surrender all. Do you know that song? In his presence, daily live. I surrender all, including my fear. That's the posture of a sheep walking with the good shepherd. Look at verse 4 again. You are with me. How comforting is that? Goes on. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So our shepherd isn't just present. Our shepherd is armed. In ancient times, a shepherd carried two tools. They would carry a rod, kind of a, like a, a club-like thing around their waist, and the rod was used to, to fight off predators seeking to attack the sheep. And then on the other hand, the staff, it was a, a multi-purpose tool used to walk, first of all, and then to, to rally up the sheep, to corral them, to keep them together and under control. So under the care of Jesus, our good shepherd, he not only provides abundantly all that we need, he also protects. He wields his rod against the forces of evil that seek to destroy us, and he uses his staff to lead us, to guide us, and to keep us safe, corralled together, connected and protected as one flock. And family, this is the life without lack. In the presence of our good shepherd, every provision we need, protection absolutely sure, but there's more. Two more verses in this psalm. Verse 5. If you notice in verse 5, we get a scene change. Notice we move from outdoors to indoors. The shepherd imagery shifts to one of even greater intimacy. Here in verse 5, you and I are no longer sheep under the care of a shepherd. We're friends, feasting at a table. And even more so, family seated with God. But despite the, the scene change, the theme stays the same, but it's amplified. It's taken to another level. If a shepherd cares for his sheep, how much more so does a host provide lavishly for his guests and a father for the needs of his children? That's the imagery here, from shepherd to friend to father. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
So it's one thing to survive danger, as in verse 4. It's another thing altogether to turn it into triumph. And that's what we see here. Every detail in verse 5 indicates victory. A well-set table in our enemy's presence, festive oil, an overflowing cup. This here is a feast. It's a victory celebration in the presence of captive enemies. And implied here is that God himself has won the battle and God himself has prepared the table. You know, my family and I, our, our girls like to watch cooking shows, so I'm just thinking about this victorious warrior combined with this feast setter. That would be a good show, like Victorious Feaster or something like that. You can come up with a, a cool name. But our victor is also our host. It was customary in ancient times to honor important guests with lavish hospitality. You know, guests would come and be anointed with fragrant perfume. They'd be giving a cup full of rich, glorious wine. But here in this verse, David declares that God's care surpasses even that. God goes overboard with the honor oil. And our cup, he doesn't just fill. Look at verse 5. My cup overflows. At the victory banquet set before us by God himself, you and I have more than our cup will hold. Abundant provision, victorious celebration in the presence of our enemies, lavish food, an overflowing cup. This is the life without lack. And this is the life God desires for every single one of his children, for those who are in Christ. We are both honored guests at his table, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's that father imagery. We get to dwell in his house forever. And this is amazing. Dwelling with God forever. Starting right now. So goodness in this verse is the, the characteristic of God that actively seeks out our well-being. You know, God gets a bad rap sometimes. I need you to hear this. God is actually for your good. He loves you. He wants to provide abundantly for you. He's not out to get you. He actively seeks our well-being. That's his goodness. And mercy is synonymous in this verse with the concept of steadfast love, love that will never fail. So his goodness and steadfast love shall follow us. And this word follow here is not like we're up ahead and God's tagging behind trying to catch up. That's the complete opposite of what this psalm is teaching. The word follow here means to pursue. God's goodness and loving kindness are pursuing us, pursuing you pursuing me his goodness and kindness are running after us chasing us down 
We can't get away from His goodness and kindness and love because God is faster than you. He will get you. And when He does, it's an overwhelming abundance of goodness and love. Right now, God is pursuing you. And the crazy thing is that He'll never stop. He keeps pursuing. He keeps loving. He keeps showering us with His goodness. Pouring more and more and more into our already overflowing cup. Forever. And this here is what life in Christ is all about. It's not a life of gritting our teeth, just hanging in there, trying to manage and figure it out on our own. Far too many Christians, myself included, far too often live so far below our means. It's almost like we default, or I default, to dwelling in discontentment, to getting frustrated so easily, so overwhelmed, so burnt out from all the tasks that I need to manage in my life. When all the while, a life without lack is being laid out before me. Why do I choose a life of burdensome and discontentment and weariness when the life without lack has been made available to me? Today, right now, resting satisfied in Him, is that you? Content with whatever He's provided, is that you? Soul restored, following Jesus down right paths, some easy, some hard. Fearing no evil, comforted by his presence, feasting at his table, victory over enemies, an overflowing cup, his goodness and loving kindness pursuing you, chasing you down, both now and into eternity, dwelling with him forever, my shepherd, my friend, my father. This life, that life, is yours in Christ. And who wouldn't want that, right? But why do we so often neglect that? You know, I can't answer that for you, but, but maybe you just didn't realize it. That could be some of us. We just didn't realize that Psalm 23 was actually a reality, not for the really mature, super spiritual Christians, but for the normal guys and girls seeking to follow Christ. And that's what I'd encourage you with today, that that if you didn't realize that this life was for you, it is. And now that you know it, maybe you could start living in it. Or maybe you did realize that this is for you, but you just have a hard time believing it, right? And a hard time living out of it. It's often easier to default to our self-reliance rather than our God-dependence. But let me ask you, how is that working for you? Is self-reliance resulting in a life without lack right here, right now in your life? Or might there be another way? Since faith in God, belief in God, belief that this Psalm 23 is for you, since faith is actually a gift from God, it's, it's not a matter of us trying to figure out how to get to the life without lack. It's a matter of us asking Him to help us believe this and to help us live in these realities 
daily. Every day when we wake up, Lord Jesus, help me believe that you are the good shepherd. Help me trust you. Help me obey you. Help me follow you wherever you lead. Lord, help me rest in the abundant provision that you supply. Help me rely on your unwavering protection. Help me find my soul being restored more and more, completely satisfied in all that you are. This is the life without lack, and it's yours, it's mine in Christ. Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, we believe, help our unbelief. Would you just pray that to yourself right now? Jesus, we believe, help our unbelief. So we're going to sing one more song this morning. Uh, but before we do, I'd invite you to close your eyes. Uh, just one more time. Close your eyes, and I want you to hear Psalm 23 read over you one more time. And as I read, be asking God, God, help me believe this is true of me. Right here, right now. And Jesus, good shepherd, help me live in this reality today. So here's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's stand, if you would, and sing together of the abundant goodness and loving kindness of our God. Well, thanks again, Melanie Park Church, for joining us this morning. I want to take this opportunity just to express my gratitude to our pastoral staff team. I uh, just consider it such a privilege to work with men like Bruce and Jeff and Brian, and just to know when I step away that they're going to faithfully teach God's Word, and I can sit under that teaching and benefit greatly from it. So very thankful for these men. We had a pastoral retreat this weekend, and it just affirmed God's continuing work in our lives and our love for you as our church family. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, in terms of the study leave, I thank you for those who were praying during this last week as I prepare for what we'll walk through uh, in the year to come. And I look forward next week to sharing that with you. Um, but I would ask in particular that you pray for me this week as I prepare for Sunday. Uh, there have been some things that God has put on my heart that I uh, feel very deeply about. And I want to be able to communicate those effectively as we spend time next week. And quite honestly, I wish I could do that in person, but just the way things worked out, we'll be doing a live stream again next week. And so would you just pray that God would use that time and that you would be prepared, as would I, for the things that I believe he's put on my heart for our church family. And please make sure that you're a part of that. But I think it's significant in the life of our church. And then lastly, 
we mentioned when they began the service that it would be a good opportunity to spend some time talking about what you just heard from Brian. So before you go anywhere, if you would, just take some time and with the people in the room, share one thing. One thing that he said that really struck a chord in your heart. For example, when he talked about how the Lord leads you in times of green pasture just as well as he leads you in times of suffering and that sometimes those paths of suffering bring more goodness and refinement in our lives than even the green pastures. That really means a lot to me and I want to spend some time thinking through that because of the power of God's work both in the pasture and in the dark valleys. So take some time before you finish up and talk about what God is doing in your life through what you heard this morning. Thanks again for being with us, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day.